Any views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of WSIC. All systems are a go. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your seats. Taking care of Iredell with North Carolina State Representative Jeff McNeely is about to begin in five, four, three, two, one. Good morning, Iredell County. Hope everybody's doing well today. And hear me out there in radio land. Uh, it's a nice day, really. It's a little cool, but that's what you want right now. Hey, been up in the mountains over the weekend. Uh, fall leaves are prime time, folks. So go up there and get in a traffic jam on the Blue Ridge Parkway and go about two mile an hour and get to see the beauty, beauty that the Lord has created because the leaves look awesome right now. So uh, go ahead and make your time to do that. It's always worth it to see how the Lord paints the pictures. Uh, it's never a disappointment. Hey, got a great show today. Going to have uh, uh, Representative Donnie Lambeth from over in Forsyth County. He's one of our senior appropriations chairs along with uh, Jason Sane and Dean Arp. Uh, Jason's on on Wednesday, so I always tune in to him. Uh, Everything Sane, I think, is the name of the show. But I uh, wanted to get Donnie. And Donnie's kind of our health uh, expert, um, uh, ex-CEO. I think it was either Baptist or Forsyth one. I'm thinking Baptist even. A hospital over there in Winston, smart guy, uh, knows the health industry up one side and down the other. So we're going to talk about things that got into the budget, one of those being um, uh, Medicaid expansion and uh, good, bad, or indifferent. It's there. And so we're going to talk about the good part, hopefully, about it. So uh, just hang in. That's going to be the second part of the show. I want to get into what we've been going on. And, hey, anybody want to call in, 704-873-1400. Love to hear what's on your mind always, so let me know. Uh, Had a good week last week. We overrode five vetoes of Roy Cooper, everything from regulatory reforms, which very much needed. Uh, We try to go through every year and find where the bottlenecks are in government. What's slowing people down? What's slowing business down? What's getting in the way of North Carolina moving forward? And try to take some of these regulations off of our people, off of us. And so that was, of course, vetoed. He vetoed a little bit of everything else. One of the things I know that he really went after was we had a law that kind of changed the complexion of our state board of elections and also our local boards of elections. So uh, it's going to be interesting. The way that's happened is now there'll be uh, eight on the uh, state board of election, and basically they'll be split four and four. So uh, they'll have to work together to get anything done. Imagine that, politics, working together to move forward in North Carolina. Hmm, maybe we ought to think about that on the national level some too because Lord knows it's not getting done. There's too much bipartisan crap, and, and that's coming from somebody very conservative but it, it's it's pitiful government that we have going right now. So, uh, and another thing, also he vetoed a lot of the election laws we had, and they're very, very critical. Uh, and, and, of course, the left and the media has been real critical, and we're going to get lawsuits, of course, because that's what they do. But one of the things that I really liked about the elections bill that got passed, uh, I thought it was a great idea myself, because you got 45 days to ask for a ballot, uh, to do absentee, and then to get it back in. And I truly believe in this world, in this day and time, even if you're stationed in Antarctica, you can get a ballot and get it back in 45 days. I truly believe that. So what's happened is now we have set up the deadline will be 730 
on the Tuesday evening as the polls close, all ballots must be in, whether they're mail or mailed in or whatever, they're to be in. And people wonder, well, th- this seems like you're going to turn away good ballots and this, that, and the other. No, we're going to motivate you to get your ballots in so that there's no chance of really getting into this ballot harvesting question that we hear and this thing. Because what happens is uh, people start figuring out who's voted and who hadn't voted. It's real easy. You can go on and check all kind of different people and see whether they voted or not in the election that is ongoing. It'll tell on their voter, on, uh, on their voter update to the North Carolina State Board of Elections. And we feel like all of a sudden ballots are requested and things happen. It gets a little wishy-washy. So this way, all the ballots are in. They can start counting that night, and we can have results. It doesn't linger for days and days and days because when it starts lingering, that's when everybody has questions. Believe me, this is a good thing. Get your absentee ballot fast as you can. Get it back in fast as you can. That's all I can tell you. I think that's the way it should be. So anyway, uh, one other thing I wanted to bring forth, too. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson last week was actually our, our acting governor uh, for the week because Roy Cooper had gone to uh, Japan on a economic uh, development incentive thing to, to get more businesses from Japan to come to the United States. And so that's a wonderful thing. But in the meantime, let me make sure I got my right pages here. Mark, I'm going to find it here. Uh, Mark Robinson declared last week uh, North Carolina Solidarity with Israel Week. Now, this makes complete sense to me. We voted on a resolution in the House and in the Senate to support uh, Israel to the fact that we condemned Hamas, which is a terrorist organization. Um, and and the sad part is is that's how the government of uh, the the Gaza Strip, basically, or the Palestinians, is listed. They're not actually a formed government. We see them as a terror, terrorist organization. So he wrote this letter, and of course the media got on him and, and said he had said anti-Semitic remarks, uh, anti-Jew remarks in the past. Really not. Uh, some off-the-cuff stuff that they were they loved to interpret. Believe me, been there, done that. Know how that happens. So you got to be careful every word you say with the media. It doesn't matter though; they're still going to crucify you one way or another. But in the process of our doing our resolution, uh, we had twelve Democrats get up and and walk out, not support the re- the the resolution, which basically uh, condemned uh, Hamas for the atrocities that they had done as far as kidnapping, killing children, beheading them, uh, just babies, just horrible, unspeakable things. All right, and, and and just to give you the 12 to look for, uh, and it's funny, you know, I, I believe if this would have happened and Republicans would have walked out, oh, my goodness, what horrible people, but very little in the media at all about it, but Representative Autry, Baker, Brown, uh, the other Brown, as we say over there, um, Sylvania, Everett, Harrison, Majid, Price, Moray, uh, Staten Williams, and Von Heffen. All of those decided that they could not support uh, uh, going against terrorism. They obviously are for it. Uh, matter of fact, I think they're known as the Baby Decapitation Caucus in the North Carolina General Assembly. Of course, these are the same people that voted to kill babies before they're born, so I guess they got no real problem killing them after they're born, too. So just throwing that out there. But remember those names, folks. Remember those names. Uh, it was an embarrassing day, in my opinion. 
to be in the General Assembly and have this happen. Uh, if you cannot be against terrorism, then I don't really know what you can be for. I'm just saying. Uh, getting on in here, we got about another mm, 30, 40 seconds here before we got to take our uh, commercial break and pay our bills. Uh, just wanted to get started on something, though. Uh, the border is starting to backfire on the Biden administration. The blue states are turning on them. Enough is enough. Ridiculous is what it's become there. And so we'll talk more about that. But it's kind of funny. Even the Democrats can't take it anymore. They've had all they can take. So as soon as we get back from break, we'll talk about a couple of different governors in a couple of different blue states. So stay tuned with us. Hang on. We're going to be talking border, border security. All right. Back here with the middle part of the show to a point here. Keep getting people calling me here and there. Anyway, uh, getting back to the border issue, to show you how bad it's gotten, here's a quote. Uh, the federal government's lack of intervention and coordination at the border has created an unattainable situation for Illinois. Kill that there. So this is Illinois speaking out here. Uh, this is from the governor, J.B. Pereski, a Democrat, in a letter written to the Biden last week, there is much more that can and must be done on a federal level to address a national humanitarian crisis that is currently being shouldered by state and local governments without support. So what's happened is, folks, is uh, these uh, cities like Chicago, New York, and all them, they said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll be... Uh, a uh, safe place for them. You know, I can't, I'm trying to think of the exact term. Joe, what is it? They, uh, they call it a sanctuary city. We'll be, there we go. How could I forget that? My goodness. We'll be a sanctuary city for these immigrants because we want to try to help them. And, hey, that's wonderful. Uh, the, the problem is they didn't realize they'd actually have to take anybody. They thought they could just claim being sanctuary city. And since they're so far from the border, you know, they'll say, and it's easy to say you'll do something if you never have to. So that's kind of what happened. But guess what? These people showed up, and now they don't know what to do with them. And it's busting at the seams. I mean, not only is all the border towns in Texas, and believe me, folks, there's a lot of blue towns down along that border. They're Democrat-controlled. They're screaming and hollering. Now you got uh, Illinois, Chicago screaming and hollering. You got New York City. You got the mayor up there. His name, let's see, is Eric Adams. Uh, not the mayor, but the, the governor. He's hollering about how bad it is in New York City. And the hilarious part is, is you got Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis that are shipping people up there to them from their states because they're getting overrun because one's Texas and the other's Florida. So that's where the fleeing's going. And um, I just think it's kind of you know ironic here. You know, Biden's starting to build a wall. And the problem is he's building the walls where the blue cities are uh, that are getting towns that are getting, <laughs> getting overran because they're needing some help. So, okay, so we're going to push them down the street to the red cities, but uh, still the same principle here. It, it, it's ridiculous. And to me, you know that they're, they're thinking they're up to something. This is some way, you know, we're thinking, okay, we'll let all these people in because we're letting them in. They're going to vote blue, and we're going to figure out how we're going to get them voted in. So this is going to get real interesting. So we'll wait and see what happens. 
Uh, but I, I do think it's kind of comical now that all of a sudden the, that the, the blue states are screaming, and we'll see some stuff happen now. You know, before, nah, we ain't going to do nothing. We're just going to let the cra- place go crap. So one thing I did want to bring up, you know, i tell you what. This is probably a, a, a little touchy subject, but, you know, that's never been nothing that I haven't never tackled before. So here we go, Joe. Uh, the uh, great state of Alabama is looking into uh, doing uh, death penalty executions again. Now, everybody's kind of been put on hold. Federal government's been really bad about getting involved in this. Let me flip back a couple pages here. So anyway, uh, basically what's happened, uh, Alabama is going to use nitrogen asphyxiation, epoxia, I think that's the way you pronounce it, um, to administer the death penalty. This is something that we worry about and guard about in industry all the time if you have any kind of nitrogen around because it's kind of the silent death. Uh, Basically what happens is when you get too much nitrogen in your system, uh, you end up in lack of oxygen, you pass out. And after a while, the oxygen runs out of your body and you no longer are able to breathe and your body shuts down. This is similar to what happened to uh, Payne Stewart when you get a problem with, uh, as far as altitude, you run out of oxygen, and that's why they have to have it on planes when you go to a certain height. And everybody on there, you don't realize it. It's quietly happening, and everybody kind of just goes to sleep. So uh, to me, this looks like a very inexpensive, very inexpensive, very painless way. But I truly believe that having people sitting on death row and not executing anybody, all it really does is set forth the stage that there is no real penalty. And I think if we had more executions, I think a lot of these heinous crimes that we're seeing would be deterred. If the punishment is harsh enough, I believe the problem will desist. Let's go ahead and take a caller. Maybe that's on their mind. Hey, this is Representative Jeff McNeely. Who I got? I can't believe I got in on the execution. Ah, hey, how you doing, Deborah? Oh, I'm doing just the way I, I'm just trying to make it like everyone else. And I know life is hard. I'll touch down real quick. Uh, I need your time for a moment. Go ahead, man. Uh, just let me just go with this real quick. Uh, on execution, I'm not, I, I just see where the world is sort of like just all tangled up. And the crime has just got so far up, law enforcement. They want to defund law enforcement. You look at all that's happening clear around our world. The people, they don't have good intentions. They're killing, they're racing, they're doing it all. I'm a firm believer that I believe they need to bring that back. Every every Saturday at high noon... Go gun smoke style, bonanza style, whatever. I don't know. Back in the day, these executions, you know, the the, the crimes are so heinous uh, towards children. Uh, these rapes, the, these people think they can just kill people, and there's no consequences to that. Uh, to kill our police officers, our law enforcement, our troops, to put everybody over the top is stress level. Their families go through it as well as the individuals themselves. 
uh, they may be having a bad day. They want to blow up the world or whatever, kill you while you're pumping gas in your vehicle or whatever. This world has changed to where we don't recognize what's going on around us. Sometimes it's gotten that bad. My heart just breaks for law enforcement, our troops, and when you see war with uh, Ukraine and Russia, that should have never happened. Mm-hmm. When you see the war with, there it is, coming right up, Hamas, uh, Iranians, and uh, Israel. I'm saying that, yes, capital punishment, it needs to be brought back under the circumstances of all. Somebody's not doing the job they was, uh, hey, we voted to put them in office. Somebody's not getting the job done. But I can simply tell you, I voted the truth. When I went to the polls to vote, I voted for truth. It wasn't about the person. It's uh, other than the truth. Who's got the best to get us through this? Because everybody's needing help. I have to tell you, Donald Trump, I did not like that man. I just didn't. And God let me know real quick. I was too quick to judge. That quick that I didn't want to watch him on First Apprentice. But I'm saying to you, when you see this administration right here, everybody's off the job. Where they been? Where are they at? To help the people and law enforcement, to put it on them, to try to break them, our troops, putting them out there on the front lines. This is, this is not good for nobody, nowhere. My heart breaks for the world of people. Yeah. And I'm a praying person, as you know I am. But I know that I broke down with a stroke, as you know I did. I told you about it. And I've been done wrong. You mentioned a dentist to me. There's good, there's bad in all. And I, I've had some of the finest of doctors uh, coming through this car wreck. They're, they've been the best. God's knowledge is with these doctors and these dentists. Okay, but you brought up a dentist name to me. I got in touch with that dentist. That dentist did a half job. Mm-mm. Yes, he did. Uh-oh. A half job, so help me to God. And he took my money. He charged the insurance. And I'm trying to get them to finish up the job. They got me looking worse than I looked in the beginning of that car wreck. And every bone in my face was crushed then. That dentist was not good. And I, I had implants, and my teeth were beautiful. I, I stand on a podium at churches. I speak to the congregation, and I'm telling you, I raise the people up without a drive, the house, and a standing ovation every time. I've tried to deal with these people, with the dentist. That morning I was sick. I took a Finnegan. I was trying to back out of that surgery. They didn't give me time enough to back out of that surgery. They numbed up my mouth and they pulled them still post them plants. Well, I can't get another dentist to touch me because of them. Mm. So now, we're, uh, I would like for you to call me when you get off the air if you want to. I don't know, or tell me now. I don't care. I just want the world to be, do people right. God gives the knowledge, He gives you a voice, and He gives you a way to go for life. I'm one that prays. That's what I do for people. And writing headline news, it's helped me come through the wreckage of that car wreck. But for this dentist to mess me up like this, 
I'm looking at a lawsuit towards these people. Mm. I'll give you a call then when I get off the air, and we'll see what's going on. Well, let me just say to the people of all, I, I want to really just, really just let you know that God has not forgotten none of us, and we all have a past we'd like to erase. Maybe we did something wrong in the past. We're all sinners, but God is a forgiving God. Everybody stay close to Jesus. Say your prayers. A God bless the world and America. God, everybody hold strong. And thank you for taking my call, Jeff. God right. bless you. Call me back. I'll give you a holler back. Thank you, Deborah. Thank God you bless so you. Much. All, right. All right, folks, we're getting ready to head to our break. We'll have our guest back in, Donnie uh, Lambeth. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, all right, getting back in here to the meat of the show here. Got our guest on the line. Joe, let's see if we can go ahead and bring Donnie in here. Hey, Donnie Lambeth, are you there, sir? Hey, Donnie. I'm here. All right, man. Hey, good to hear from you. Got Representative Donnie Lambeth. Donnie, we always do this just so that people, you know, I get new listeners by the thousands every week. So just tell them a little bit about who Representative Donnie Lambeth is, where he's from, what he's all about. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, I've been um, in health care most of my life. Uh, my professional career was as uh, Wake Forest Baptist. I held a number of positions from finance to administration, retiring there in 2012 as uh, president chief executive First Baptist. Um, I went to the General Assembly in 2013 to work on health care issues, and that's what I've done since I've been there. I've worked on health care. I've been very fortunate to be a senior chair of appropriations, which means you really are negotiating a lot of the budget issues. Yeah, you're in the thick. And, uh, yeah, right in the <laughs> thick of the negotiations and obviously serving as a health uh, chair. Um, I was also the chairman of the school board here in Forsyth County for 18 years. Bless you. That's Bless you. I, I, <laughs> yeah, that was a tough one. Got involved in uh, politics and uh, and the community, quite frankly. Served on a number of boards from uh, our local hospice, um, which now they call Trellis, uh, United Way, and, and a number of issues or boards like that. I've been in the General Assembly, as I mentioned, since 2013. Um, it's been quite an honor, also quite a ride. Uh, there's lots of challenges here in North Carolina, particularly in health care. Uh, but I'm honored to be here and talk a little bit about health care and other issues you want to talk about. Well, Donnie, I appreciate having you on the show. I, folks, you don't know how critical Donnie Lambeth is when it comes to our doing our budget for the state. Because I think now with health care, we're probably up to a fourth or a third, roughly, of the budget, $30 billion a year. We probably have, and it may be more than that. I, it's a huge number, and especially with the Medicaid expansion, it's even that much more bigger of, a, of an item in our budget. And so to have somebody who is an expert, and trust me, Donnie knows all the acronyms, and that's amazing in itself, Donnie, that you know the acronyms they throw at us. <laughs> it is. I used to have to give our hospital board a whole list of acronyms because we we use so many in healthcare that people don't understand, and and sometimes I don't even understand the new ones. Uh, <laughs> but that, that was always a kind of a joke with our healthcare boards. You need to have a, a glossary of terms so you understand what's going on. 
<laughs> it is it is extremely difficult to follow if you're a layperson like myself. Donnie's up here talking, and he talks about hasp, and he talks about a couple of the, and I'm just like, isn't that a door? Isn't that like a hinge on a door, a hasp? What is it? I'm like, okay. Anyway, but we'll get into it here. Now, you know, all right, Medicaid expansion, uh, love, hate, indifferent. It's, it was in the budget. It's law now, so we go about it. I guess what? We've, we've kicked this can Mm, at least I know the two two full terms I've been there, and it was discussed when I got there in nineteen in that half term. This has been an ongoing thing for a while. Medicaid expansion, little history. How long have we been working on this? This this has actually been a, a challenge for a number of people. Um, actually, when you go back to when I was a freshman in thirteen. We actually voted in North Carolina, the General Assembly did then, not to accept the traditional Obamacare Medicaid expansion, and I voted against it. I was not in favor of Obamacare as it was constructed, and over the years, what has happened as we've debated it is, and and you may remember that the courts uh, gave the states the authority to decide whether they joined the federal expansion program or not, and so that kind of kicked it back to the state to decide, and we've debated it. Uh, we've tr- we've looked at options over the years. I was a, a big proponent of of having a work requirement. Yeah, me we too. We went down that path, you know, about eight nine years ago. We went down that path of having a work requirement, and then the courts ruled, yeah, you can't require working for Medicaid. So we had to go a different direction. Uh, and it really was, I think, until these last three years when this when the discussion got rather serious. And the things that changed these last three years was a couple things. One was a belief by leadership, particularly in the Senate with Senator Berger, as he talked to the federal representatives, that eventually the federal folks were going to require. There was only 11 states who had not expanded, and he believed that they were going to require it, and we would not have any choice in the way we constructed it in terms of the benefits. So we went about trying to figure out is there a way to do it and construct it in the way it was a North Carolina expansion, not a federal government expansion. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But the other factor was the federal folks, I call it sweeten the pot a little bit. Mm-hmm. They uh they incentivized the states who had not expanded by offering a bonus if you signed up to expand of about one. And for North Carolina, it was about $1.6 billion. Yeah. And we would receive that, and we could use it for anything, education, health care, or others. And that was a big enticement, I think, for the Senate, who, who then decided it was time to do expansion. The House, and quite frankly, we were still a little concerned, uh, and some things we did to try to make it um, somewhat acceptable to our uh, caucus was to create not a job requirement, but a an optional work training program. And by that, what I mean is if you took advantage of the Medicaid as it was expanded, and a lot of these people, quite frankly, do work. They just can't afford health insurance. Yeah. And thus they fell through the cracks, as we talked about falling through the cracks. We have a, an optional program in there that if you're interested in improving your ability to earn more and get off Medicaid, 
we will help you do that by go, by paying for you to go to the community college system. We would pay for it out of the Medicaid dollars, and earning a you know a higher standard of of living with with a better job. And certainly in North Carolina, there are a lot of job opportunities, particularly in in skilled uh, uh, positions uh, like electricians and plumbers and oh, welders. Yeah. And yeah. So if you, Trades. you know, if you want if you want to go back and do that, you could actually uh, get help with tuition assistance to do that. And that was kind of a part of the program. We also built it around wellness. Uh, if you're going to get a free product, i.e. the Medicaid program, you need to take care of yourself. You need to go ahead and get the screenings. Believer coming out of the healthcare background that if you do the screenings and you take care of yourself, you will avoid more catastrophic costs later because you might show up in the emergency room and there might be something really serious. And then you're going to spend a lot of money trying to figure out what's wrong and how to correct it. So the wellness component is actually in our expansion uh, bill where we actually will encourage and almost require individuals to take advantage of the expansion program to take care of themselves. And you will be assigned a primary care doctor. And a lot of these people don't have a doctor to start with. That's right. Now, it, won't they basically have a, a health insurance policy kind of like the rest of us uh, and, and then do, you know, preventive care and, and yearly checkups and all that? Did, wasn't that included or was that in the one before that that went through? That that was included. It's yeah. actually, a, you know, a very smart part because what happens now for these individuals who can't afford to buy insurance on the market, they actually, if something happens, you know, they sprain an ankle, they get hurt playing uh, softball or something, they end up in the emergency room. Yeah. And then they can't, you know, they can't pay or they try to pay over a period of time. It, it becomes an economic disaster for a lot of these individuals. And so they actually, with expansion, they will be assigned a primary care doctor in their area where, or they can choose one, mm -hmm. where they actually can go for normal care, preventive care. And, you know, the goal, part of the goal of that is trying to keep them out of the emergency room right. and into the normal, like, health insurance like you or I would go to if we needed care. Yeah, and that, and to me, you know, that, that was what we had first done before we did the expansion. We did that. And and now we we basically took the expansion. And one of the things people I don't think understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but because of being one of the states not to take the expansion, it was 80-20. And then under the Biden administration, I think, it went to 90-10. Yeah. And we're still yeah. like it's we were like at six. So, folks, we, we really did expand Medicaid, but we didn't because we took on more people in that one part during the COVID, during the pandemic. And next thing you know, we're, we're doing like 66, 33. So we expanded and got a worse deal than we had. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think what people don't really understand is during COVID, the federal government allowed all these individuals to actually be covered by Medicaid. Now, they paid for it, and so there was no cost by the state, but that coverage stopped this year. Yeah. And that was also one of the reasons why we said, well, do we take all these individuals off the federal Medicaid roll, try to cover them and keep them out of the emergency room? The other, the other thing I think people interact with that, you know, are concerned about expanding a government program. And, and I am concerned. I don't like oh, expanding yeah. government programs. Yeah. The hospitals 
decided because it was to their economic benefit to help get these individuals covered to keep them out of the emergency room so that the hospitals don't have to and the doctors don't have to provide care free they agreed to pay the the state share and the state share whether it's five percent or ten percent they will pay for that so the the state of north carolina actually doesn't contribute anything towards expansion and yet these individuals are covered again the benefit is to the hospitals and doctors who now will get paid for providing traditionally free service hey don we got to take a break here for about two minutes so you just hold tight keep that same thought all right, back here for the last part of the show. We've got Representative Donnie Lambeth with me from over in Forsyth County. Donnie, you still hanging with me? I'm still here. All right, cool deal. All right, yeah, you were in there talking about the hospitals, and, that, and that's a critical thing because uh, we were actually, we have lost and are in the process of losing a lot of different small, the rural hospitals out there. We're hoping uh, that there's when there is in the budget through the HASP and whatnot, some money's going to go to these smaller hospitals to kind of give them a lifeline, and then then be able to also have people with the expanded Medicaid be able to to pay their bills so they're they're not got this debt collection going on. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think the word lifeline is a really good word to describe it because if. If you go into some parts of North Carolina, it's really the part that I worry a lot about. The, the urban areas, and even the area you're in, yeah. we have great health care, and you have good access to it. Uh, but in the rural parts of North Carolina, you go down east and further up in the mountains, health care is, is, is struggling. There are hospitals who've had to close over the years because of their increase in cost of operations and low payments. And what this bill will do, including the HAS payments, which are part of our managed care program for Medicaid, it actually does give them a real economic boost by providing funds for services that they have traditionally had to write off and not get paid. And the the economic value that a lot of these rural areas, and, and quite frankly, what I'm hoping is that you'll begin to see renewed emphasis from these big urban centers in expanding into these rural areas to improve access to care. And, and, you know, that's the other word I think we have to always remember. We have to improve access to care as we get older and we wear out, we live longer. We, we have to provide the care to these individuals who need the care. And this is a great economic boost to be able to help expand a number of these services into rural areas uh, and even access points into urban areas where we've, we've maybe not had it. I'm hoping that you'll see uh, more medical schools turn out more um, allied health professionals that can fill some of these vacant positions, grow the industry so that we can provide the services that are needed. So this is a huge economic boost, I think, not just to North Carolina, but to our rural areas where they struggled these last, particularly these last 10 years. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important, too, also, I think a lot of people are a little nervous because, you know, I kind of look at, at Medicaid expansion, it's, it's, I see the need. I know my wife, we, we had a procedure she did this past year, and, and, and thank goodness the Lord's been blessed, uh, blessed me and provided well. But our out-of-pocket with 
what I consider to be good insurance. It's the state insurance that we, we actually menu, I guess, we buy. Uh, I know I do. Um, but it was like $5,000 for a, a two-hour procedure, just what our part was out of pocket. And, and so I'm thinking, how many people just don't have this, even with good insurance, don't have this $5,000? And and they put it off. And, and health care has become unbelievably expensive, it seems like, since just, just from the start of COVID. Uh, and, and I know it's because of worker shortages and increase in pay to people. And, and a lot of things have happened to make that happen. But... It, it's it's gotten ridiculously expensive. It's really tough. It's really really tough right now for people, and so it, it has it has gotten ridiculously expensive. And there's got to be some changes in the way the delivery system. We've talked about this in the general assembly before. You know, we need more nurse practitioners and PAs, not relying so much on the expertise of physicians, but a lower level. We've got to continue to expand our allied health schools, so we're turning out and generating more uh, individuals who are interested in allied health careers. I mean, yeah, that, that's going to be Well, let me ask this, too, now. This is not, you know, not jumping too far, but we 11.59 sort of is our stop time here, so it's get, it gets closer. This is, I swear it's quick, isn't it? It is to me anyway. <laughs> sure is. I just can't get it all in. But all right, now we've, in the budget, we also helped, or maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, the budget's, y'all, it's big. It's so many pages, about 1,500, 1,600 pages, and it's, it's pretty encompassing. We actually put some money in, though, to try to help with assisted living, nursing, Getting these, getting people in there, it, that has been so critical and so hard to find that the CNAs are just just help in general that can work in those facilities. Uh, what did we end up doing there on it in the budget? Didn't we do something for them? I thought we did, and we did some significant increase in rates that hadn't really been adjusted in a while. And you know, as we were budget. Uh, preparation, we heard from a lot of these agencies. I certainly heard from the ones here in my local area that they were they just not able to get workers. The CNAs can go to McDonald's and others, Chick-fil-A, yeah. and make as much or more money with better hours and have to work weekends sometimes. So we've, we actually increased. Uh, there are different rates for those facilities. Uh, sometimes they call them personal care rates. We increased them all to the pre-COVID rates that uh, the federal government had put some money into those industries, and we actually were able to increase those rates from the pre-COVID level. Which, from from what I've heard from the people that I interact with, they are they are just so thrilled, and it should be able to help them compete better with uh, workers that they need on the on the lower pay scale. Well, that, that 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 you know, I had all kind of people calling me and saying, that, you know, we're going to go out of business, and and you know, here you go, you got family members that that are elderly that that need these facilities that that you can't provide for them. You, you know, you're talking about having to hire nurses yourself or whatever. You know, twenty four hours, seven days a week. It's just not feasible. Just can't be done. And, and I know a lot of people talk about the expense. That it is to send somebody to have somebody in a skilled nursing or or even assisted living, but for what it takes to meet all the compliances that the state and the federal government does, and to pay the help and keep the lights on, and it, it's not a cheap proposition. It's not cheap at all, and they supply an incredibly important need to our communities. It's it's I don't even know how to describe. 
They do. And, you know, a lot of costs in healthcare is what we call fixed costs, where you've got to pay the light bill, you've got to pay basic, and you're running 24 hours, seven days a week. So it's a very expensive industry to operate, and it is very dependent on reimbursement and adequate reimbursement to keep, keep the doors open. And the other thing I mentioned in the short amount of time we've got is we were also able to in, increase significantly the amount of money for mental health. Yes. In North Carolina, we've really struggled with having enough beds, uh, creating some crisis centers. I've, I've used a story before where I've had uh, members of my community who've called me and said, what can I do? I have a loved one that needs help. And quite frankly, the only thing I, I could tell them was you take them to the emergency room. That's the worst thing they can do. Yeah. So we, we invested substantially in uh, the state budget because that's what we were hearing is we've got to do something for mental health to increase access, to improve uh, care in that area. And there's a major two-year plan to open more beds, state facilities, to get more health care workers and to retain health care workers that are already in the mental health field uh, and to create some crisis centers around the state. And the point of all that is to open up access points for individuals who need care and get treatment. And I, that's something I was very proud of that we were able to do as well. Yeah, com- coming out of the pandemic, y'all, uh, isolating people like we did, elderly, yeah. young. I mean, we've got a real serious issue with youth and mental illness yeah, right now. So it's just getting us from both sides in the squeeze. So I knew we had done some. I'm glad you brought that up. I did not have that in my notes, but I knew we had worked a lot. We've been putting money in. This is two budgets in a row. We put more money probably in mental health than we have in the 10 budgets before that. Uh, so that's you, used to be incarcerate or, or medicate was our term for mental health. So that's And that's not the answer. That's not the answer. Well, well all right, we've we done a good budget, a great budget in my opinion. Really hit a lot things uh spent a lot of money but we did it to, we had it and moved north carolina forward what do you see we got about a minute or so what do you see the next big challenge for us as a state to tackle is it just keeping these programs going or do we need to look at more i think you're going to see some uh real challenges with workforce you know i've shared this with the general assembly before our we had 60 counties out of the 100 counties in North Carolina that had double-digit inflation, uh, unemployment mm-hmm. uh, 10 years ago. We have no counties that have unemployment rates that are double-digit. And what that means is people that want to work are working. Yep. And so as we expand new industries, as healthcare expands, they need workers. And so one of our challenges in North Carolina, I think, is, is creating training programs, and getting high school kids interested in, in the right careers that they will find, uh, you know, lots of satisfaction in. And so I, I see one of the challenges for us is how do we get enough workers to meet the needs of the growing economy here in North Carolina? And if we can't figure that out, we're, we're going to see, you know, some real strain on our system again. Yeah. Well, Donnie, I swear it goes by quickly. We'll have to have you on here for too long again as things develop and as the budget money gets out and we see how it works. Uh, we'll, you know, we always got to see where, where we miss something. So we'll, we're, there's, yeah. it never quits. All right, man, take care. I'll see you soon, probably next week. Thank you.
Yes, sir. Thank you so much. All right. Let's go ahead and say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you put upon us. Lord, we pray we help our fellow man and woman. Lord, I want to thank you for my wife, our anniversary coming up tomorrow, and just thank you for the blessings of 31 years with her. Be with Israel and those people, dear Lord, and find peace in the Middle East. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to North Carolina Representative Jeff McNeely. Join Jeff again next Monday morning at 11.05 for Taking Care of Iredell on News Talk WSIC.